All right, today, I'm going to indulge a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about gold. And if you know anything about me, if you've ever followed my Facebook page, things like that, I haven't got to do a lot of it this summer, but I love to do uh, gold prospecting. Um, I'm not getting rich at it. Please don't come ask to see my large supply of gold because I don't have it. Um, but it's fun. And I got into it when I was in California. I had a friend named Tim uh, at the church I was at out there, and this was a hobby that he had gotten into. And I just really got excited about it. We started going out and uh, looking for gold in California, and I even became a member of the Gold Prospectors Association of America. And it's just kind of this nerdy thing about me uh, that I like to do. If you ever watch the Gold Rush program, I stay very up-to-date with the Hoffman crew and all the other guys that are part of the Gold Rush program. And uh, there was another guy in California had a show on the Outdoor Network named Tom Massey, and I always liked to watch what he was doing and learn all this stuff. And, and it was just something I kind of geeked out on. And, you know, anytime you have a hobby, you end up investing in all of the accessories, right? So I have all the gold pans. I have the sluice box. I have the magnets. I have, I have everything you need uh, to find gold. And by the time I'm 90, maybe I'll pay off the equipment if I'm lucky with the amount of gold that I've found. But, um, you know, as I, as, I, as I got more into this, I found out a lot of things about gold that were very interesting to me. And I do like science. You know, I love Discovery Channel and things like that. And uh, so some of the things I learned about gold, just let me indulge. I'm going to share with you just a little bit to kind of help uh, bolden the argument here that I'm going to make. But gold has been prized for centuries as an adornment because of its brilliance and ease with which with which it can be crafted into amulets and medallions, often with religious significance. You see this all through history, right? The Spaniards came and took over Central and South America because of all the gold that was there. And you just see, you see gold all through Scripture. You see, you see gold in all the histories of the, the, of the centuries and of, of all the nations. And, uh, you know, the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant was made out of solid gold. Aaron made the golden calf, right? When Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments, he made the golden calf. As technology developed, man came to understand some of gold's other properties. It's, it's practical, soul-stunningly mystical, and is unique among the world's elements. In your iPhone, in your device that you have right now, is probably, I'm sure, there's some gold in there. Because it has amazing properties. Besides its lustrous beauty, rarity, and ease of workability, gold is virtually indestructible. It doesn't rust. It doesn't tarnish. It doesn't corrode. If you have a silver piece of jewelry or uh, furniture in your house, something in your kitchen that's silver, you have to polish it all the time, your gold doesn't need polished, right? It does not corrode. It resists the actions of most acids and never loses its brightness. It is as close to an immortal substance you can find on earth. Indestructible. It's interesting, you know, we mentioned the golden calf. When, when Moses came down and got a little upset at Aaron because of the golden calf, um, you know, all these people brought all their jewelry, all the gold they could find, and they made this golden calf to worship. And Moses realized right away that this was not going to work. And they had to melt it down. And then it says he ground it up. And you remember what he did with it then? He put it in the water and made them drink it. He ground it up very fine. He put it in the water so they have to drink it. Why? Because you're not getting the gold back after that. You know what I'm saying? Let's just say it, it became unclean. So this was the way that, that Moses said, we have to destroy this. We have to get it out of our, our camp. We've got to get rid of this sin. We've got to get rid of this, this idol. And this is the way that Moses chose to get rid of it, because it was made out of gold. 
In fact, the Capitol Dome in Denver is adorned with, I've heard, 180 to 200 ounces of pure gold. Notice it never is dull. Every piece of gold ever pulled from the ground is still on the earth today, unless it's in the space station or on the moon or something, or on its way to Pluto. With all of its remarkable properties and mystical aura, the only real value possessed by gold is what man puts on it. What's bestowed upon it by man? Times of economic turmoil, gold has always been the refuge of the investor. Right now, gold is at about $1,140 an ounce. Its high was up close to 2000 a little while back. I think it got up to 1193 Do you remember Enron? Any investors in Enron? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. It's not a sin. Um, but how much is that Enron stock worth today? Big old zero. Gold has never been worth zero. Gold has always had value. It cannot be inflated by printing more of it. It cannot be devalued by government fiat. It has been trusted, a trusted currency since before the king of Lydia struck the first gold coins 560 years before Jesus came around. Gold is said to be so rare that the world pours more steel in one hour than it has poured gold since time began. A one-ounce gold nugget is more rare to find than a five-carat diamond. And even though gold is rare, it's still easier to find than winning a major state lottery. Just throw that out there. Gold is six to seven times heavier than other materials equal to its size. In fact, it's twice as heavy as lead, and it's 19 times as heavy as water. Which is why, when you go prospecting, the gold sinks to the bottom of your pan, because it's in with all this other material and with the water, and as you... With the shaking action on it, the gold sinks down into the bottom. It's just some science. Now, some of you might be confused by science, but it is science. It's so heavy. And so you can know that if you've done the process right, where the gold's going to be in your pan. The largest nugget ever found in the U.S. weighed 195 pounds. Just slightly smaller than me. Just throw that out there. It came from California. The largest gold nugget ever found in Colorado was about 12 ounces. Uh, there was a large load deposit, not a, not a plastic deposit, but found in the rock called Tom's Baby, and it was about 160 pounds found in Colorado. But the largest real nugget that came out of a plaster deposit was about 12 ounces. So Colorado, Colorado has some gold history, but California is really where it's at, right? Gold can be hammered so thin that sunlight can shine through it. And as a result... When the astronauts head to space, inside of their masks that they, you know, you always see the astronauts all suited up with everything to protect them inside of their masks so that they can see that is lined with very, 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 very thin gold to block out the radiation and yet allow them to see through it. A single ounce of gold can be drawn into a wire 60 miles long. So if you had a, a one ounce gold coin, you could stretch that into a wire 60 miles long. Hence, it's really nice work inside of your phones, right? It is said that in a cubic mile of seawater, there are 25 tons of gold. That's about 10 billion tons of gold in the oceans. However, there is no known way to economically recover it. I am working on a plan. <laughs> but I don't know about you. It's very interesting to me, the great properties that, that God has put into his creation. And we find illustrations all through creation of God's handiwork and how much he loves us and what he's done for us. And we see that and how he's formed the earth. And there's some intriguing properties about gold that relate to our spiritual lives, hence where we're going to land today. 
If you will, on the screen or in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, the first part of verse 7 is your 52 memory verse today. Let's read it. These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to gold, precious to God than mere gold. Your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. God, be with us today as we look at your word, as we study who you are and what you have done for us and how much our faith is important, what it means to you, what it means to us. Help us as we look to your word. Give me the words to say, to share your message, and may you be lifted high in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Your faith is so much more precious than gold. Your salvation, your faith in Christ, your spiritual journey, we talk about that a lot around here, your spiritual journey is so much more important. Your faith is valuable and beautiful. Your faith is valuable and beautiful. Many of you have a, a wedding band on today, probably made of gold or platinum. Maybe it's not. That's okay, too. But your faith, if you, if you look at a ring like this, you see, you see beauty in it, right? You see the luster. You see and understand the value. Your faith has much more value and much more beauty than gold. Well, let's just be honest. Than anything you want to put value on. Your faith is so much more important. Jesus thought your faith was important. Enough that he would die for it. On the screen, you'll see Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4. Let's read this together. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You are valuable to God, so much so that he gave his life for you. The entire story of this earth and the story of man is about Jesus' redemption of us because of our sin. God has a plan for your salvation. He had a plan for your life. He loves you so much that he gave it all to you. It's not anything that you've done. You can't boast about it. We've talked about this before. For salvation to happen, you need a sinner and you need a savior. And you're not this one. You're this one. You can't boast about it. It's something that Jesus gave you. We have a softball team right now starting off at SFC. You may or may not have heard about it. We haven't put a lot of advertisement into it. But Valerie asked me if we could get an SFC softball team going. I said, sure, go for it. If you want to handle it, go for it. And uh, so I think they played their first game on Thursday. Did anybody play Thursday? Anybody was there? Did you guys win? No? Okay. So you're not getting a trophy for the first game. Listen. When you do something well in life, you know, as you're a kid growing up, you get these trophies, right? And you get remembrances of the things that you've done in your life that were important and, and remarkable. You might get a ribbon. You might get a prize. You might get a trophy. The Bible says here that we are trophies of God's amazing grace. 
that when you were a kid, the thing you put on your shelf to remind you that you were the MVP of soccer in the second grade, when you put on the shelf that you passed the spelling bee, when you put on the shelf that, you know, the things that remind you of what's important in life to you, what Jesus puts on his shelf is us. He says, you're a trophy of my grace. You're what is remarkable about what I have done. Don't believe me? Verse 7 of that passage. So God can point to us in all future ages of examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. Shown in all that he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say that we're his masterpiece. God wants to point to you and to me as trophies of his grace and his mercy. He loves you so much. And your faith is valuable. It's important. It's beautiful. Another passage. First Peter three first Peter one, three through five. We'll come back to this in a little bit, but look at these three verses right here about your faith. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Because of your faith, God has all of eternity waiting for you. His plans for you in this life and the next are beautiful and wonderful. He has all of heaven waiting for you. The misery, the pain, the things we have to endure in this life all go away, right? When we meet Jesus face to face and we spend eternity with him. This world is not your home, right? Just a passing through. Because we have all eternity to spend with Jesus. He is that waiting for us because what his son did. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith has value and beauty. And when something is valuable and beautiful... And something is worth dying for. Doesn't it also rise to greater level of importance in our life? You know, you always see the on the television show or things like that when someone loses their wedding ring, right? And many of you probably have lost your wedding ring at a beach, on a trail, somewhere. Don't worry, I have a gold medal detector. I can go find it. I don't have to tell you that I found it, but... Um, but you, you understand when you lose that wedding band, you kind of like zone out for a while, right? I got to go look down the sink drain. I got to go look in the toilet. I got to go look at the last place that I was at. I got to, you know, you, you drop everything to go find it because it has some value, it has some memory, it has some importance in your life. Let me tell you, your faith is valuable and beautiful and it was worth dying for. It ought to have priority in your life. It ought to rise in its level of importance. Think of your kids, right? You do just about anything for your kids. You want the best for your kids. You do everything you can for your kids because of the value and the beauty and the importance of your kids. And they're worth dying for, right? So they rise to a level of priority in your life. And they should. Absolutely they should. But your faith, what level of importance does it rise to in your life? Do we ever ever think of our faith this way? the value and the importance that it has in our daily life, and how much attention we give to it, how much thought we put into our spiritual journey. 
I think oftentimes we probably just, it's in the background. You know, I don't want to come with a hammer today, but you th- think about those people that are persecuted for their faith. Think about people that don't have the freedoms that we have. You know, Ryan mentioned we've got baptism next week. It's a pretty easy thing here. You come, we give you a t-shirt, let you tell your story a little bit, get you here in front, we dunk you, everybody claps, and has a good time. We'll post it on Facebook. We'll let people know it's a great celebration. Listen, if you're persecuted for your faith, baptism is a hard thing. You give up your family a lot of times. You give up your job. You lose all the cultural connections that you've had because you've made a statement that I'm no longer part of this life, which is accepted, and I'm going over to this life, and I'm letting people know that I'm different. I've got a faith in Jesus Christ. And for some people, that changes their life. That changes the course of their life. It changes the relationships that they have. It changes the, the level of comfort they have in their life. And it's a big deal for a lot of people in this world when they choose to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus in baptism and make that a public thing. And it's a big deal for some people. And again, I'm sure it's a big deal for you, but the sacrifice that is made is much different. We simply just can't even really fathom it, can't conceive what others go through that don't have the freedoms that we have. I'm curious, if this week Christianity became illegal and the punishments for practicing your faith were harsh, I wonder what our attendance would be next week. I wonder. I wonder. If your faith really cost you something, if it meant that you had to separate yourself from your comforts, if it meant that you had to separate yourself from relationships, if it meant that you have to separate yourself from the law, would your faith still be important to you? Because Jesus said that your faith is beautiful, and it's more important than just about anything you can put value on. It's more important than gold. And the people that he's writing to here, we'll talk about this in a little bit, they didn't have a cakewalk. Most of the people that were written to in the New Testament were in the minority. And they had to make sacrifices for their faith. My point is that our faith is valuable and it's precious, it's beautiful, and all too often we take it for granted and don't give it the priority in our lives that we should. When your faith doesn't cost you anything, how are you able to see its value? Your faith is valuable, it's beautiful, and it should have priority in your life. Moving on, your faith should be seen. Your faith should be seen. Gold is relatively difficult to uncover. You know what they say, if it were easy, everybody would do it, right? If it were easy, everybody would be in the NFL. You know, Peyton and I are the same age, but I don't do what Peyton does, right? Of course, Peyton probably couldn't do what I do. So, um, but if it were easy, everybody would do it. And when you're looking for gold, there, I mean, there's ways to do it. And, and you, know, you watch the Gold Rush show and you're excited about these guys going to find gold. They went to the jungle a couple years ago, right, and came back empty-handed, spent an entire season and a life savings. and It's hard. And if I were to show you a pan of gold or a pan of dirt today, you know, if I had my little gold pan here, I thought about bringing it, but I didn't. If I had a pan of dirt here and I told you, hey, there's, there's gold in this dirt. And you'd be like, Jimmy, this looks like dirt. Well, yeah, you're right. And that's what, but that's where the gold's at. You know, if you're doing mining like I do or recreational mining, the gold's in that dirt. And what do you have to do to get to the gold? You've got to wash away all the worthless dirt, iron, 
all the pebbles that are in there, all the stuff that doesn't have any value whatsoever, and you keep this action going because the gold's heavy. Remember, it's 19 times heavier than water, twice as heavy as lead. It sinks down to the bottom of your pan as all this worthless stuff washes away. And eventually you take that pan, you swirl it back, and right there along the edge in the bottom of the pan is all that nice shiny stuff. I can show you some pictures if you'd like. It's like showing my grandkids. I could, I could show you some pictures. But that's where it's at. And the gold really has no value. It has no beauty. It has no importance until it's revealed, until it's brought out of the stuff that's hiding its importance. The gold's still in the dirt, but its value, its beauty, its worth are not revealed until everything else is separated away. And for many of us, this is a perfect picture of our faith. Yes, we have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, we go to church. Yes, we understand we're on a spiritual journey. But we are unwilling to remove that which is worthless in our lives to concentrate on that which is priceless. We've got everything else in our life that covers up what's really important. We've got every other activity. We've got every other thing on our calendar. We've got every other thing of importance out in front of the thing that has the most value in your life, which is your faith, your spiritual journey. All of us are there. I'm there. You're there. It happens. We're human. That's why we're here to be reminded today that your faith should elevate above the worthless in your life so that its beauty and its value can be revealed in who you are and that Jesus Christ can be glorified in your life. We go through life with the focus on us and on ours, on wealth and on happiness and on things, and our faith receives little attention and focus. When God says that your faith is what is important, it's the most value. It's where you find true value. And we go through life, maybe even unintentionally, hiding our faith. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say to them, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds, and it is dead and useless. Matthew five thirteen through 16, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? You're the... Your faith is the gold in this earth, but what good is it if it's hidden and covered up? Verse 14, you're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Your faith should be seen, but so many times it's hidden Because of everything else we put priority on in life. In North Carolina back in 1799, there was a gold rush that started. But no one knew about it for about three years. Because this young man on his father's farm went out and was along the river and found a 17-pound rock. It looked like it would make a good doorstop. So he brought the rock back to his house and he put it at the front door and when they would move in and out every day, they would walk past this 17-pound rock, open the door, nice sunny day, let's block the door open with this 17-pound rock. So as the farm wasn't doing so well, one day the dad took the, took the rock 
into town, and someone bought it off him for $3.50, which might have been a lot of money in 1799. Actually, it was by 1803 that this happened. Well, the man who bought it obviously knew what he had. And a little while later, someone else on the farm found a 23-pound rock. It was a big old gold nugget. Had no idea what they were sitting on. Could have changed the whole family's fortune. Could have changed their lives. And eventually, I think they did do pretty well. They found a lot of gold on their property. But for, for three, four years, it's just sat at their door. They walked past it. The dust off their feet would kick onto it. Had very little value in their life because they didn't recognize what? Its value. They didn't recognize its importance. They didn't recognize what they had. And after that was discovered, Katie barred the door. Everyone came in. The gold rush of North Carolina started in the early 1800s. Listen, to summarize this point, in life, focus on your faith. Be willing to remove the worthless and focus on the priceless. A friend once told me, and he was, he was making, it was just simple, he was making an announcement at church. And I'll never forget this. He was making an announcement, and he said, you know, we've got this thing going on. It's really important for your spiritual growth, and we want you to be involved. And I don't even remember what it was. And he's like, and we're not just asking you to, to, to do this, because I know your lives are busy, and I, I'm not just asking you to, to put something new into your life, because I know your lives are busy. I'm actually asking you to take something else out of your life so that you can add this on. I was like, whoa, that's good. I'll preach. You know, there's so much in our lives that we could focus on if we had the time. You know, Ramsey says time is one of those things that when you give it away, you don't get it back. You can give away money and make more money. When you give away time, you don't get it back. It's gone. And our time is valuable, right? There's only so much of it in the day. And so I'm not asking you to add something else to your life today or just add something to your life today. I'm asking you to take away something out of your life so that your spiritual journey can move front and center. So that your faith can move front and center. So that it can have the priority in your life that needs to. So that it, its value and its beauty can shine in your life to point others to Jesus Christ. When I was in high school, I did lots of things. I played baseball. I played. I was in a band. I played trumpet and trombone, baritone. I sang in the choir. I was involved in my church youth group. I was on the academic team. I was, I was all over the place. And... Um, got to where that there was a lot going on in my youth group. I was helping out a lot. We had stuff going on on Wednesday nights. We had stuff going on on the weekends, on Sundays. And I was giving people rides and things like that. And I got to the point where, like, there's too much going on, right? And so the, the thing that I ended up giving up was baseball. I love baseball. I played baseball since I was a little kid. I named my, my son Ozzie Smith, for goodness sake. Right? I love baseball. The Rockies are terrible, but I love baseball. And, um, you know, I gave this up proactively because I wanted my life to be focused in other areas. And so sometimes you've got to do that. You've got to leave something else behind so that something else can take priority. And when you're washing away the worthless in your life to focus on the value, some things are going to wash away that have little importance. I don't know what that is in your life. You know what that is in your life. You know what God is telling you this morning. You know what God wants to move out of your life so that something else can take priority. Let the beauty and value of your faith be on display. Next, you will be refined. Even after gold is separated from the common materials, there is a further process of refinement. We talked about it in in verse 7 just a minute ago. 
These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. You saw the slag, right? You know, when Parker brought that in, it was, you didn't see it, but it was a jar of like, you know, little gold flakes and nuggets and things like that. And it looked great there. But did you see how much slag came off, right? That's what God's doing in your life sometimes. That he wants to melt away the junk, the worthless stuff. And sometimes, you know, pain, we can get rid of some of that stuff on their own. Sometimes there's intervention needed. Where God says, you know what? I need to do something in Jimmy right now, and I need to let him get a little bit hot because I want him to learn something. I want him to, I want him to figure something out. I want him to see something different in life that he's not seeing, and he won't see it unless I put him through this trial, this test. I let him go through some fire. And it's the same for each and every one of us. As a matter of fact, the people that Paul are writing to here, um, and I won't, I won't go into the, read the whole passage. We're running short here. But basically, Paul's writing to these people that are part of what's called the diaspora, and they were dispersed out of their homeland, out of Israel, and, and they were scattered across Asia Minor and areas north and south and east of, uh, of, of Jerusalem because of persecution, because of Romans and things like that. And so all these people uh, that, were, that were part of this heritage had been cast out of their homeland. So they're living in places that they don't know the language. They're living in places where they don't have a job. They're living in places where things don't make sense because they've been cast out of their homeland. They've been, they're living in places that they're facing persecution because of what they believe and who they are and just for the fact that they're different. And Paul writes to them, and he reminds them, these verses we talked a minute ago about this great inheritance that God has for you. He reminds them of that. And then he says, be glad, be happy that you're going through all these terrible trials and tribulations. Wait a minute. Wait, Peter. Peter, wait a minute. You understand what we're going through right now, right? I'm I'm, I'm homeless now. I'm jobless now. I'm cultureless now. uh, My family's mad at me. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what our next move is. Everything's upside down. (laughs) You want me to be glad about this? Yeah. Look at verse 6. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary. Even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. He tested his fire, tests, and purifies gold. God was allowing them to go through something because he had a greater purpose in mind. You know, in the age after Jesus left and the apostles had their ministry on this earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread like wildfire. It spread all across, all the way out to Rome and beyond, through Macedonia. One reason was because God allowed some of these people to be scattered around the earth so other people could know and hear about who Jesus was. And he's telling them, look, your trial, you don't get it right now. You don't see it because you're here in the midst of it. I'm way up here. My my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. Who can know them, Isaiah says. Jesus says, I see the big picture right now, and I know that it's necessary right now for you to go through some trials and some testings because I'm trying to purify you, trying to refine your life. I'm trying to make you more into the image of who I am. Why? Because your faith is important. Your spiritual journey is so much more important than anything else you want to put value on. Jesus, to me, is the greatest example of, of this very mindset. It says in Hebrews, let me just read it to you. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Why? Verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Joy, cross, they don't make sense. If I'm Jesus and I'm looking at the cross and I'm sweating blood, asking God to take this from me, that doesn't sound like joy. And it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. When Jesus saw the greatest trial of his life, what did he see? He saw you and me. He looked beyond the trial. He looked beyond the pain. He looked beyond the suffering because of what was on the other side of the cross. He saw the salvation that he could offer, the forgiveness of sins that he could offer, the ransom that he could pay for each and every one of us so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven and said, their faith is precious and I'm going to die for it. And he looked past his present problems and he looked to the joy that was before him because he knew God had something else in mind. And when you find yourself bogged down in the trials of your life and the problems that you have, are you going to look past them? Are you going to see what the refiner is trying to do? Are you going to resist? Are you going to fight it? Are you going to let that junk rise to the top and flow out of your life? Let Jesus become the author and the finisher and the perfecter of your faith. How is God refining you right now? And how are you responding? So today we've got the understanding that your faith is valuable and it's beautiful. We see that your faith should be seen. It shouldn't be hidden. It shouldn't be covered up. It should have priority. And yet your faith will be refined. Because what does he say? It's necessary. Not optional. (laughs) It's necessary that we're going to go through some of these things in life. So I don't want to leave you just hanging here this morning. And with that understanding about how important your faith is and how you can take steps to invest in your spiritual journey. There are some people on staff here that have given our lives to helping you on your spiritual journey. At some point in our life, we realized that people need to know Jesus and people need to follow Jesus. And we said, all right, this is what we're going to do with our lives. You have a church here of people that serve in this place. You have a team of elders. You have volunteers. You have all these people that are here to help move people forward on their spiritual journey, to help people find and follow Christ. And I want to give you three simple ways. This is what we're all about on your spiritual journey so that you can add focus to your life this fall. This is kickoff Sunday. This is fall kickoff. We're all back in town. Vacations are over. Schools are churning. Things are happening. I want to give you three ways that you can invest in your spiritual journey here at SFC. And number one is make worship a priority. Prioritize your time with God. We have worship services every week. Sunday's always coming. <laughs> and when you're in ministry, Sunday's always just around the corner, and Tuesday is just around the corner for us with, with Tuesday services. We offer you an experience here where you can come and you can sit and you can receive God's word and put it down deep in your life and move forward on your spiritual journey. And I want you to prioritize that time with God in your life here at church and as an individual. Are you spending time with God on your own? Are you taking time to look at his word? Are you taking time to pray? What are you doing in your life to prioritize worship in your life? Two, community. 
go deeper together. Today we're kicking off our life groups, our community groups that are starting in homes throughout the week, small group Bible studies. And we've been talking about this and pushing this last week. We had a lot of people here and we had tables set up. We want you to be involved in a community group. If you're not in a community group, listen, you're only getting a fraction. You're only getting a fraction of what we have to offer to help you move forward on your spiritual journey. There's something great about going deeper together. You know, when I'm out looking for gold, um, I'll be over here on the side of the river, and I'll be digging, and I'll be putting it in a bucket, and I got a little shaker here, and I sift it all down for about 20 minutes, and I fill this bucket, right, all this loose material. And then I go back over to the river, and I got a sluice box that's set up in the river, and I take little by little, shovelful by shovelful, let the water wash away all the worthless material, leave all the heavy stuff in the pan. I put some more in, and that takes 20 or 30 minutes. And I go, you think it was fun doing this stuff. I dig another hole, I dig down my hole, I put some more in a bucket, and then I walk back over here. I got to stop doing that so I can do this. And then I got to stop doing that so I can do this. And then eventually at the end of the day, I look in my box and I see what I've got, right? If I bring another person with me, I don't have to stop. I get to keep moving. If I bring two or three people with me, I get to keep moving. And it's amazing that if, you, if you're just doing it yourself and you bring another person, you don't do just twice as much work. You're able to do ten times as much work when you've got someone with you. I made my mom come out and dig that hole the other day or last summer and just made her dig. And dig. I just sat over there in the river. This is, this, is the, this is the science. This is the important part. But you get so much more done when you're doing it together. And in your spiritual journey, if you want to go deeper and you want to go farther, you want to get richer and you want to get more blessed, do it together. Do it through community groups. There's lots of great value there. And we don't have our table set up today. If you want to check with Ryan today, if you're not connected with a group, want to find out more about that today, he'll be out at the kiosk out front. Make worship a priority. Go deeper in community and get on mission. Serve with purpose. Discover your giftings. Help other people know who Jesus is. And don't get scared by that word missions. We're not asking you to go to Africa necessarily. Though I would like to. Mike says he's going to take me. But listen, get on a mission. Find a place where you can invest and serve in this place to help other people find and follow Jesus. Listen, I'm telling you, if you're, you make worship a priority, you go deeper in community, and you start serving somewhere, you're going to rise in your spiritual journey, you're going to get closer with Jesus. You're going to understand more about yourself. You're going to go further and you're going to go faster as we do this together.